You're listening to the Cheer Biz Podcast, where we dive into the business of running and owning your gym. Join us as we speak to industry experts, business gurus, and discuss how we can take your passion and turn it into profit. Let's get to it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Cheer Biz Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Cotton, and today we are going to be talking about my top 20 tips to get prepared for comp season and how to have the best comp season you can and my 20 tips to do that. Now, before we get into the episode, make sure you've gone over to Facebook and you have joined All-Star Cheer Coaches and Owners if you are an All-Star Cheer Coach and a Coach Owner. You've joined Cheer and Gymnastics Gym Owners if you are a Gym Owner of a Gymnastics Gym or a Cheer Gym. And you've gone over to nextgenowners.com if you are looking for more information about what it is we offer or you're looking to get registered for one of our conferences Or if you are someone who wants to sponsor NextGen, become one of our preferred partners, get more involved in what we are doing with NextGen, and get working with the great gyms that we work with, make sure you head on over to nextgenowners.com to check all of that out. Now, let's get right into it because comp season is right around the corner. And here are my biggest pieces of advice to be ready to go and have the best comp season of your career. Make sure you're taking notes. I would write all of these down. Uh, And you probably have your own to add to this list. I actually had a hard time limiting it to just 20. When I first started writing this episode, uh, I was writing down, I was like, I'm going to do 10. And then I got to 10 and I had like 12 more to go or 12. And then I kept going and I was like, man, I could just keep going and going and going. So let's get into my top 10 tips to have the best comp season you can have. So number one, learn the score sheet. Whether you are competing on the United score sheet, you're competing on the open score sheet, whether you're competing on some other score sheet, make sure that you learn your score sheet. You need to spend the time to understand it, to study it, and to know it. And when you learn that score sheet, you've got to make sure your routines are set up for success so you are ready to go for competition. Number two is to script every team's routine and make sure that you know your numbers. And I would double check your scripts as you get closer to competition season. Like I've talked about in a previous episode, I recently just finished choreography with all of my teams. And I can tell you, my numbers are all perfect. They're all right. I have extra bodies. I'm, I'm sitting pretty. Well, with an injury here or a kid quitting there or something changing, my numbers could shift. Maybe you add someone to the team because someone walks in and they're really talented and you add them, but you forget to factor in the fact that that now takes you from 11 to 12 and now your numbers have changed. So make sure that you are scripting every single team's routine. You're writing out, these are the elite stunts that we're doing. These are the elite tumbling passes that we are doing. These are the standing tumbling passes. We're doing all of these different things. You know the numbers. You have some safety for yourself. And this is going to become really, really important when you go to AccuScore or any sort of scoring challenge in that you really, really know your routine and you have everything just dialed in and you're able to respond when they say, oh, well, you only do 10 of these. You can say, actually, no, we do 15 of them. Uh, And you can then walk them through where those are. So you have that script. You're just better prepared for success. Now, my... Side note, my 2.5 is make sure you actually watch your routine before you go over there and challenge and tell the judges that they're wrong. If they have some sort of video playback, make sure you go and watch because you never know when a kid did pop a pass or 
when a skill wasn't actually performed correctly. Um, you know, I even remember last year I went to uh, AccuScore at NCA and I was I was heated. I was like, "You didn't give me enough points. Uh, you know, our scoring uh, is wrong on this." And when I went and watched, because I was like, "Well, you're you're docking us for a skill that hit and then dropped, which it did hit." And she pulled the skill and then it dropped. And I was like, we should get credit for the difficulty. Well, I watched it. And then I come to find out that another kid didn't, another group didn't even do the spinning and switching, uh, the 360 switch up that they should have done uh, because she loaded the wrong foot in. So they just did a straight switch up. So like we weren't in range, like a hundred percent. And if I had challenged that, I would have looked like an idiot. And so I, I, I'm really glad that I watched it. So make sure you script your skills. Make sure you know your numbers in your routine. Number three, for the love of all that is holy, submit everything for legality checks. Do not trust that you saw it in a routine once or we competed it before or I saw it at Summit when someone else performed it. You need to make sure you are submitting everything for legality checks. It is so, so important. There's no reason not to, okay? Use USASF if you're a USASF member. Use uh, the open and their submission process, but get things checked and confirmed as legal. The last thing you want to do is assume something is legal, not submit it, get to competition, and have some sort of a legality. And they tend to happen on things that are unnecessary in terms of the skill, right? Like you understand, okay, I know that I am a level four team, so I know what skills we can and can't perform in my base elite skills. I still will submit them. I won't submit every single group, but I'll submit them just to have that confirmed it's legal as performed. But it's all that creative stuff, all those visuals and different things that you do that oftentimes will get you the illegal ruling. And it could be as simple as you you got it from someone and they just had a grip wrong or maybe a kid performed a grip wrong. So submit everything for legality so you have that in your back pocket. Number four, make sure you haven't buggered up your choreo. Make sure you have not messed that up to a, a manner that you're now going to go to competition and mess up. Now, I do my own choreography. I go out and do choreography for people. I have a lot of friends who are choreographers. And one of the most frustrating things is when a gym has issues, right? They have kids quit or they have things change or they need to switch things around. And so they change the choreography. They change the formations. They change who goes where. And before they know it, they haven't paid attention to the right things. And now we have five kids crossing center or kids crossing in front of each other, making transitions not seamless. We have kids just hanging out in the back that aren't symmetrical. We have all these different things going on. And believe me, I've been there and done this that have degraded the choreography of the routine. And then we get mad at the choreographer and we're like, well, gosh, we scored horrible in routine composition and performance and all these things that are really on your side of the score sheet. And as a choreographer, I look at it and I go, well, you changed everything. That's not the routine I choreographed. Like, it's kind of the routine I choreographed, but it's not what I put together. So you've you got to make sure that you haven't messed up your choreo. So take a close look at that. If you have a good relationship with your choreographer, send them the routine as you get closer to competition and say, hey, we've made some changes. Are you seeing anything? Does anything stand out to you as a problem? Hopefully they give you some feedback, but make sure you've still got your choreo dialed in, especially if you paid a good price for it. Number five, pay for your comps on a high return credit card and pay it off right away. Now, this is something that we learned a few years ago, but you can get a lot of benefits out of having certain credit cards. Now, 
Uh, Dave Ramsey would reach out and slap me across the face for saying this because he doesn't believe in having credit cards. But uh, and I, I hear his point, you know, what do those airline miles do when they close for COVID and those kind of things? But we have a, a credit card that we get airline miles on and we pay for all of our comps on our credit card and then we immediately pay it off. We don't use it as a way to get a loan. But we use it as a way to pay for our competitions and get a benefit. So by the end of the year, we have hundreds of thousands of airline miles on this card that we can then use for staff flights or other uh, benefits to help the gym out. So we're, we're getting a little bit back from it by utilizing that credit card. Now you can do a cash back credit card. There's all sorts of credit cards out there that I would suggest you look into when you're talking about uh, you're paying for your competitions and paying for those things because you may as well get a little bit of bang out of spending all that money. Like for me, I have great status on airlines because I have these credit cards and we use those credit cards and we get some miles and some of the things like that. So use that to get some perks for yourself and for your business and get the most juice out of the dollars that you are spending. Number six, build a template for competition information and edit it for each event. So we always have to put out information like, here's where the event is, here's the arrival expectations, these are the times you should be here, these are the things to expect. Make a template and then just edit that template and make small adjustments. You'll save yourself 30, 45 minutes, an hour each competition. And maybe you don't save it for yourself, but you save it for your staff member that you have that delegated to. But have that template built. It's going to save you time, save you energy, and save you frustration. Number seven, educate your parents so they understand how scoring, bids, awards, and just in general competitions work. Please don't leave your parents in the dark. Let them know how things work. An educated parent asks less questions and you have less opportunities where you're like, oh my God, why are you asking me this stupid question? Well, it's it's stupid to you because you know the answer. It's not stupid to them. They don't understand why they didn't score in the certain range or they don't understand why it is that they lost to another team. Now, have I been in the position where I've had people ask me that question and I'm like, how do you not understand? We dropped, they didn't. Pretty simple explanation here. Um, but you have to just take a deep breath and you have to try to explain things as well as you can to your parents. Now, I make sure that they know how scoring works. I make sure that they know how bids work. And I also make sure they know how awards are working. When I talk about scoring, I even go so far as to do a scoring update after each event. I sit down and I go over each team's scores and I say, they scored this and here is why and here are some things to be aware of and you know, know this stuff going forward. So that's going to help them be prepared for what is going to be happening in the gym uh, as we move forward and we start to adjust routines and change things up. Next up, number eight, start running full outs as early as you can so your kids are mentally and physically prepared for competition. Full out should not be a bad word in your gym. You should Your kids should be used to running full outs. They should be running at least two a practice, maybe more uh, depending on the level and the safety of that. But I know gyms that run three, four, and five full outs a practice. They need to get used to running full outs. Now, maybe you don't run that many that consistently. And yes, you do need to clean sections and do other things, but you need to run full outs. Uh, Jason uh, talked about this on his podcast and he's absolutely right. And he talked about the fact that kids, especially when they're first getting the hang of the routine, 
they're just in survival mode in a full out. This is why you'll have kids and teams that can hit things in isolation in a group. But when they get into the middle of the full out and they're a minute and 45 seconds in, or they know they have a really hard thing coming up, they're now in survival mode and they can't think efficiently. And the next thing you know, they've dropped and they don't know why. And you're like, how can you hit this over here, but not hit it in a full out? It's because they can't process anymore. And then on top of that, they cannot take things to the next level. So when you're like, you need to perform, you need to smile, you need to stand correctly on this count, you're off on timing. They can't process that. They're just trying to get through the skill and keep the stunt in the air or land on their feet. They don't know how to manipulate themselves through time and space as well as achieve what it is that you're looking for them to do. Number nine, put your music on an iPad and buy multiple dongles. Now, I'm the old school person who tends to play my music off of my computer because it rarely malfunctions. Although lately, it's been kind of malfunctioning. Like I've noticed that it's a lot quieter. Um, iPads are great. Make sure they're in airplane mode. Make sure you're not getting notifications and bring multiple dongles. I recommend bringing two or three per event. That way you're never short. And uh, when one of your staff members takes it because they need it for the warm-up room and then you have to play music for a team that's about to go on, you still have your dongle. Now, yes, do a lot of event producers provide them? Uh-huh. I just don't like to rely on it. Okay. Have your dongle, bring it with you, be ready to go, have everything you need to play your music. Number 10, practice your pre-comp and your warm-up room. I'm always surprised at how many coaches don't do this. They don't have any sort of like pre-competition ritual. They don't practice how things are going to work in the warm-up room. So kids don't necessarily know, here's what comes next. Like, we practice the warm up room probably more than we need to. Um, <clears throat> but my kids know, they know what we're doing on each mat. I generally don't even have to talk very much. Um, I can give them hand signals and they're just kind of prepared and I just start counting and we go. And the only time I'm talking is if something didn't go quite right. And even then they know what the standard is and they're prepared and they're ready for the warm up room. It takes a lot of the stress out of the warm up room. This becomes more and more important as you go to some of those larger events like those big NCAA nationals or cheer sport or things like that where there's a lot of distractions. It's good for your kids to know what to expect in the warm up room and be mentally, physically, and emotionally prepared. Number 11. Make your comp day hair and makeup simple and able to be executed by various ethnicities. Now, I am, I'm an anomaly on this one, but I'm just telling you this is for my sanity's sake. Yes, I came up in the era where when I first started doing cheerleading, you guys, we did sponge rollers. I don't know if you remember that, but when I was first coaching cheerleading, kids had to put their hair in sponge rollers the night before so their hair was like those ringlet curls. It was god awful. I don't miss that. I was part of the era where everyone had curly hair. And then I was part of the era where everyone had to have a poof and you had to have a big poof. And then it was a poof and a massive tease. And that's where all the like posh ponies and everything came from. And everyone needed to have straight hair. Uh, no matter what your natural hair was, your hair needed to be straight and it needed to have a poof and need to have all these things. And it just, I didn't like it. And coaches would get so mad because they'd be like, your hair is supposed to be, you know, two finger widths back from your poof and it, yours is four and it looks bad and the bow's not sitting on the top of your head and oh my lanta. And then complicated makeup, you know, you have to buy exactly this makeup, exactly this shade. It's got to look like this. You've got to have a one and a half inch cat eye or whatever the heck you call it and this and that. And you got to have glitter here and glitter there. And a few years ago, I was like, I just hate this. I don't, I don't like it. And I went probably a little too far. We went with a very athletic look. We did a low pony, natural makeup, just some red lips. 
Um, and now we've gone back, we've done a high pony and we go back and forth between different things. And this year we're doing some hair that fits our different custom themes, but like make sure that your comp day hair is relatively simple. I personally don't get wrapped around the axle about it. I've never lost a competition because someone's pony was a finger length lower on their head than another athlete's. Uh, I've never had that noted on my score sheet. Yes, uniformity is important, but I also don't love telling kids who um, have a different hair because of their ethnicity that they have to then straighten their hair or they then have to put ringlets in there. Like if that's, I want kids to be able to wear their natural hair uh, as much as possible. Now that's within reason. I'm a big natural hair person. So I actually don't allow my kids to do um, colored hairs in terms of like they can't have blue hair or purple hair or things like that it has to be natural colors. Um, that's because I find it distracting and I think it draws the eye to you and it makes it about you more than it makes about the team. But Make your comp hair and your makeup simple and executable so you don't have to fight with kids about it. Number 12, pack your meals if you can. Now, this is a huge one for just general health and fitness. You need to be eating on competition days. Don't be like me and not eat because you're nervous. Um, but pack your meals. You don't want to be going to competitions and eating nachos and hot dogs and crummy food all day long. It's not good for you. You're not going to feel well. Your stomach's going to hurt. You're going to feel lethargic. Pack your food, eat healthy food, eat things that are going to fuel your body, represent good behaviors for your kids. Pack your meals if you can. Number 13, develop good relationships with the competition directors. It is You always catch more flies with honey than you do with anything else. So make sure that you are being the honey. Um, I am very rarely rude to competition directors. And I'm, in fact, I would say I'm never rude. Sometimes I'm direct. You all know I'm very direct. So I'm going to tell them when I think something's wrong or something's off. Like I'm not going to hold back on letting them know that something is an issue, but I'm not going to be a jerk about it. I try to treat competition directors the way I would want a parent to address concerns with me. Um, concerns are going to happen. There are going to be things that they don't like, but I try to speak to them respectfully. This does nothing but make your day easier and more pleasant. Now, if you're sitting there going, oh, you do this to like get extras. No, I don't. And I don't get extras because of it. I think that people are generally more happy to see me, generally more willing to have conversations and explain things to me because they know I'm going to treat them respectfully and they know I'm coming from a position of honesty and integrity. So when I go to AccuScore, even though I've had those moments where I'm really, really frustrated and they can tell I'm angry, um, I try not to ever be belligerent or rude or tear people down. Uh, I've had those moments where I very, very, you know, the vein is bulging in my head and I'm like, I completely disagree with you. Like, I think this is wrong and I'm not happy about it. And I let them know that, but that's it. I'm still going to treat them with respect. And the next day I'm going to say hello and I'm going to ask them how they're doing. Um, with competition directors, I'm not going to hammer them and hammer them and hammer them and hammer them about a schedule or an error. I'm just going to continue to work with them and be polite and respectful. It makes your day better. Does it make you win? No, but it makes your day more enjoyable and it makes them more willing to listen to you in the future when you do have an issue. Number 14, communicate the expectations to parents of supporting different teams. So if you want your parents at the front of the mat, you want them cheering teams on, communicate that early on. Let them know what the expectations are. Hey, we're going to do this cheer when teams come out. Hey, make sure you're saying for us, we do let's go ODT in the middle of every routine. This is when it's at. Make sure you yell it really loud. Make sure you're cheering. Make sure you're doing these things. 
Um, communicate those expectations to parents ahead of time so they are prepared and they know what you expect. Number 15, especially this year and especially if you're competing on the varsity side, pay your deposits early and on time. Uh, there are a ton of waitlisted events. If you don't pay your deposit, they're going to drop you. So pay your deposits early and, and or on time. Do not be late. Number 16, delegate the registration process to a responsible employee. Registering for comps is not an owner level task. It is not something you should have to be doing as an owner, building your USASF roster and registering for the event. Uh, pass that off to a responsible employee. If there are waivers or things that you need to collect, pass it off to a responsible employee. This is not owner level taskings. Give it to someone else. Take that off your plate. You have other important things to be doing. Number 17, pay your staff for their time at the events. This is one of the most common questions we start seeing during competition season. How do you compensate your staff for uh, for events? And the amount of people that still say, oh, I don't pay them or it's included in their expectations or I give them $25 for food. You guys, that's not okay. Pay your staff for their time. Now, you can have a set amount. You can say each competition you're going to make $100 a day, that equals out to this many hours. If you work more hours than that, then I'll pay you at this hourly rate. You get this amount for food, this amount for like, we'll cover your parking, da, 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 da. But they're traveling for work. They're working for you. It should not be something that they are having to pay out of pocket for. Pay your staff for their time at events, show that you respect them and you respect their presence there. If you're not going to, then don't ask them to be there. And then you probably don't need them to be a staff member or a coach. I came up in the area where I had to pay. I had to buy my own flights to go coach my teams at events. And that was honestly, it was completely wrong. It was because we were a very micro gym and we didn't run it well like a business. I mean, I was not the owner. It was not run like a business. It was run like an, a hobby and a pastime. And they didn't have the money to pay for me to go to events. But they should have. And I should not have had to pay for that. Basically, what I made in a given season, I paid out in a given season. I really made no money because I was paying it all to go coach my teams. Do your due diligence on a bid distribution. Okay, You need to know how bids are going to be distributed. You need to know the rules for how bids are going to be distributed. And you need to be tracking scores throughout the season. So when bids are announced, whether it be for All-Star Worlds or for Summit, or Worlds, you are, well, Worlds is probably the hardest one. The rest of them, you shouldn't be surprised at all. You should know exactly how that bid distribution is going. It takes work. So if you don't want to do that, task your um, intense, crazy coach to do all of that work. They can build the spreadsheets, they can track all the scores, and they can do that. But you need to do your due diligence. You not only need to do it so you're prepared and you know what's going on, but you also need to do it in case there's a mistake. And I've been there. I've been in the position where there have been mistakes and I have had to go to the competition and say, you messed up. You didn't follow your bid declaration process. You owe us a bid. And we've gotten bids because of that. So you need to make sure that you're doing your due diligence and you're making sure that the bids are going the way they are supposed to go based off of the declaration form. Number 19, book your end of season plans early. Okay. Book them early. I used to be a person who always waited and was like, well, we don't have a bid yet. So we're not going to book anything until we have a bid. I don't want to jinx anything. Um, one, jinxing isn't real. That's, it doesn't actually happen. So you're not going to jinx anything. Two, uh, you're only going to get less good stuff because you waited too long. So book your team dinners if you're going to Orlando um, or you're going to All-Star Worlds or you're going to Regional Summit, wherever it is that you're going and you want to do a team dinner, you want to do those things, book it now. 
try and get on contract early. Book your hotels, you know, get those things going now early on before things start to get crazy. The longer you wait, the less options that you have. So just book that stuff as early as you can. And last but not least, number 20, make events about more than just competing whenever you can. If going to an event is only about what place they get and going out and doing the two minutes and 30 seconds each day and competing and leaving, you don't make it as good of an experience as you possibly can. So find ways to get the kids dancing in the hall, meet other teams and go and have fun. It should be, the entire thing should be an experience. It should not just be about the competition. It should not just be about the placings. If you can do things outside of the event, scavenger hunts, photos, all those different fun activities, make events about more than just the competition side of it. That should be a big part of it, but make it about more than that, right? Uh, I can remember back in the day, it used to be a thing like, no, don't go swimming. You're going to be too tired tomorrow. So get out of the pool. Don't be in the sun. You're here for work, right? You're here on a work trip. And yeah, you are, but like there's a way to balance this without making it miserable and allowing kids to have fun because they're kids. They don't want to just travel and work the entire time. They want to be able to have fun. So like, let your kids go to the pool. Like you can have rules. You can say, hey, it's comp day. We're not going to go to the pool and be in the sun for multiple hours. You get 45 minutes to go dip in the pool, swim around. If 45 minutes out in the pool swimming is going to mess up your team's ability to hit their routine, then they're not conditioned enough and they're not ready or they made other errors that negatively impacted their ability to perform. All right, everyone, these are my 20 tips to have the best successful comp season you can have, the best experience you can have. If you have additional tips, you have additional advice, shoot them my way. I'd love to put them in another episode. I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you're looking for other great cheer content, check out the Let's Talk Cheer podcast with Jason Larkins. Share this episode with someone who needs to hear it. The more listeners we have, the more people get these messages, the better the cheer industry is going to be as a whole. And like, share, subscribe, do all that good stuff with the podcast. And with that, we will catch you on the next episode. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Cheer Biz Podcast. If you would like to be featured on our podcast, click the link in our description to apply. If you're interested in joining NextGen, visit our website at www.nextgenowners.com. And lastly, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast to make sure you don't miss any future episodes. Thanks for listening.